And welcome to the One Shot Podcast. We are joined today by a very special guest, Aaron Golub, who is an entrepreneur, a speaker, a soon-to-be Californian. Uh, so we, I feel like we should have uh, ended the episode with that because we just lost half our audience. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can only say that, Aaron, because I'm from California. Yeah, that's right. Um, but it's uh, it's fun to say that you left. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. a he's a yeah. proud, originally a proud Bostonian. Now he's going to go wow. become a Californian. All for good reasons. We, for we good chatted reasons. very briefly, yep. and we're going to get in, a little bit more into it. But all for great reasons. Yep. And he's also uh, the first legally blind Division One football player, which is obviously oh. a unique uh, accolade. And so something we want to dive into and really get into the story of that. And, and Aaron, you've heard the show. You know about the show. But we love going back to the beginning, man. We love setting the stage from day one, you know, figuring out how you grew up, where you're from, all that good stuff, giving our, giving yeah. our audience a little feel for that. And then, and then obviously what it's led you to today. You're still a young dude, uh, but you lived a lot of life in this short life that you've had. And we're excited, man, to have you on. So first and foremost, how you doing, man? How's, uh, how's Boston today? <clears throat> Things are good. It's a, a very busy, uh, as we were talking about before, a very busy uh, week for me, honestly, just dealing with packing everything and just a lot of business stuff going on Sure. this week and next. And so it's uh, a lot when you're moving across the country and dealing with a lot of stuff, other, you know, business stuff at the same time, but it's, uh, it's good. It's good. Things are good. Yeah. Yeah. You're literally moving this week as we're recording this. So uh, like you said, things are crazy right now. And we'll get into that here later on the episode. But first, we do want to go back. You are from Boston originally, New t- Newtown originally, mm-hmm. uh, to be more specific, which every time every time I think of is a Newtown, right? Or Newton? Newton? Uh, Newton, Newton. Okay. Th- th- <laughs> so <is> Texas. <laughs> you are so Texas. Then man. maybe I'm an idiot. Well, I am an idiot. But maybe this confirms I'm an idiot because I think of the movie The Town. Is that yeah. where the town Well, that's in Boston. Yeah, okay. that's in Boston. Okay. In like Charlestown. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, anyway, so you're from Newton. Uh, what was life like growing up? Tell us about life uh, in Newton where you yeah. began. So, you know, for me, I was born with, you know, no vision in my right eye, very limited in my left. Um, grew up like, grew up, like you said, Newton. Um, wasn't a very athletic kid growing up by any means. And, you know, it's surprising that I became a Division One athlete, but was not very athletic at all tried every sport under the sun, baseball, basketball, lacrosse, hockey, everything. Nothing really stuck. Nothing was a good fit. And, you know, eventually found football. You know, I always loved watching it, but started playing in my seventh grade year. Nice. Let's back up a little bit more. So, so you were born uh, with no vision in your right eye, minimal vision in your left. Um, But I mean, early on, what kind of adaptations did your parents help you with to, to teach you to maybe accommodate yeah. for the loss of sight in your right eye? Do you, excuse me, do you have siblings? I mean, what was yeah. kind of that dynamic in the interactions at the, in the home? Yeah. So I have an older sister who's two years older than me okay. and then a much older half brother. Um, so I didn't, didn't grow up with him in the house, but you know, grew up with my sister. And, you know, I think the biggest things that my parents would do was, you know, when you have a child with that type of disability, it's, treating them the same because you need them to learn on their own. And so mm-hmm. look, you know, when a lot of kids struggle with something, the first thing parents want to do is help them out and, and do it for them. Yep. And that isn't something that my parents did. You know, if I couldn't tie my shoes or if I had trouble with X, Y, or Z, you know, it was watch me struggle with it for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it took, because 
I was never going to learn on my own. It, I was never going to develop as a person in the things I need to do if they didn't force me to do things on my own. Yeah, a couple of reasons that that's impressive on their part. And you're not a father yet, right? You don't have any kids just yet? No. Okay, You'll, no. you will understand. We both have, Tyler and I both have children. And you're, you're exactly right. It's hard to watch our kids struggle uh, you know, through things. Number one, it's hard just because you don't want them to struggle. But number two, it's frustrating. You just want to get it done, right? And so you're, yeah. you're trying to help them just to get it done. And so to your parents' credit, credit they said, no, he's got to figure this out. So awesome yeah. job by your parents by allowing you to struggle because I know that was tough for them. I, I know for a fact that was tough for them, so good for them. So yeah. you mentioned you got into sports earlier. Were, were sports a family thing? Was that kind of just you? What was that like? Yeah, yeah, I mean, not necessarily a family thing. I was a big sports fan. You know, my dad liked sports, you know, things like that, but it wasn't like a huge you know, thing in my family. I just – I always loved it. I, I wanted to try different sports. I played a ton of different ones, and, uh, you know – None of them were really the best fit. None of them really worked well for me mm. um, until I eventually found football. Yeah. I, I imagine being from Boston, Tom Brady probably had something to do with your uh, love for ball. <laughs> I mean, we had a lot of great years with him. <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't bring it up anymore, man. That's yeah. still, that's still, yeah, that's still true. Too I guess that is, a, that is a rough subject up there <laughs> in right, the Northeast. All right, so, so se- seventh grade, you start football. Walk yeah. us through that first day, and I'm assuming it was a pads, or did you start in flag? Uh, started in pads, so okay. started in seventh grade. So I just went right to it. Okay, so talk us through that first day of practice. because Yeah, you know, I, I, I knew I couldn't be one of the, like, coveted positions. I couldn't be a wide receiver. I couldn't be a quarterback. It, just, it wasn't going to be what I could do, unfortunately. And so I started as an offensive and defensive lineman. But even that, I was undersized. I wasn't very athletic. I wasn't very strong. I was smaller than others. You know, I wasn't the fastest. And so, you know, I started as an offensive and defensive lineman, and I wasn't very good, and, and that was okay. And I understood that on the first day, and it was hard. I understood that the first several years because, you know, in the beginning, I eventually found the right position and the right fit for me, and I eventually we'll, we'll get into that down the road. But in the beginning, it was challenging. It was, it was hard. It was something that, you know, I had to – understand that I was going to be on the bench. I wasn't going to play a ton. And, and, you know, that's challenging for any kid. You want to be on the field every single game. You'd understand why your coach isn't playing. Yeah. So because I think of how your parents, um, how, how they raised you and taught you, um, was, was your drive to, I mean, do you felt like early on in football, your teammates, your friends, there was like this, all right, we'll take it easy. Like, don't, don't go all the way. Like, you know, he's, he's different. Did you feel that from them? And if so, was it like, because I know internally, like, no, 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 no. I'm one of the guys like, just let's go. Like, let's do this. So not really. I'm sure that some people in the beginning probably thought that way, Mm -hmm. but I never thought that way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would hit someone as hard as I could and, you know, they would learn very instantly that I wasn't (laughs) taking it easy you know I, I you know just maybe the first play someone would take it easy on me uh-huh. and then i would just knock the crap out of them and then they were like okay all right never mind next time i'm gonna knock the crap out of you yeah right yeah right. okay so how'd that first year go well i mean i know you said you struggled and didn't maybe get to play as much as you thought but but were you hooked instantly did you love it immediately yeah no loved it you know in, in middle school seventh eighth grade years I, I still enjoyed it a lot i you know, made a lot of friends because of it. I, I learned a lot of lessons, a lot of experience because of it. You know, just because you didn't play a ton doesn't mean that it wasn't valuable. Eventually, sure. I, you know, played more. 
but you know, it was, it was a hundred percent worth it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what were some of the lessons that you, that you took away from that middle school time? Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, putting the team before yourself, you know, each and every day in practice, it was at that stage. And, and so many people go through this in life, you know, when you start a new job, when you start a new business, when you start a new, whatever you want to be the best at it, you know, in every single thing that you do, it's just human nature. And you have to understand that sometimes in life, you're not going to be the best in the beginning. And you have to understand that putting the team before yourself, putting the business before yourself, putting your partner before yourself, whatever it may be, is important for that time period. And now that doesn't need to always last your entire life. You know, in the, the first few years, I had to put my team before myself. Each and every day in practice, it was, <clears throat> what can I do to learn, to grow, to get better each and every day? and help push my team to get better. Now that eventually changed to, yes, I want to help my team get better, but I need to help myself and push myself. But in the beginning, it was more focused on, I'm not starting, I'm not playing that much, it's okay. How can I learn, how can I get a little bit better, and how can I help my team get better? Man, I feel like our, our kids these days need to hear this because everything that they're watching, everything they're seeing, everything they're hearing about their their idols in the league is all about me. So now we've got, I mean, eight years old at seven years old, these kids that are playing flag football, it's all about me as opposed mm -hmm. to, Hey, my role right now at this moment is to help my team get better. So like you said, how can I get better so that I can help my teammates get better in practice and, and the times that we are going against each other, but everything is like, I mean, I, I'm going to be, I got to be very careful when I say this, but, um, there are kids, um, that, have zero business doing certain things just because they haven't put in the time, they haven't prepared, they haven't played long enough, whatever, that are saying, oh, no, no, I should be quarterback. Why am I not quarterback? Or why am I not the receiver? Why am I not this? It's like, listen, like you don't even know how to line up, let alone direct an entire offense or, or <laughs> defense. And then, but your job is when you are in is be a good scout team guy or play against him shadow him i mean all of these things you we need to be able to count on you and like you said putting the team above yourself if you can't go in and be the best figure out what you can be the best at mm. and yep. you can be the best at servicing other players to make the whole team better because guess what if you're on the team and you're a champion you get a ring too yeah yeah no that, that uh, i totally agree with you i i gotta be honest aaron and tyler i struggled with that in middle school i i did i struggled with the idea of putting the team first and why am I not playing? And you know, this sucks. Cause I'm not getting the play. Time. I did struggle with that, yeah. but, but everyone struggles with that. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't, I mean, I'm sure I know I wouldn't have articulated it in this way back then, but I think the biggest focus for me, you know, even, even in high school in the early years when I wasn't playing much, it was, you know, not necessarily, you know, looking back on it was how, how can I help my team get better? Mm -hmm. But back then it was okay. I'm not playing a ton, but, I still like winning. I love winning. What can I do to help us win this game? Yeah. And that's probably how I thought of it more that back then. Because what can you do if you're not starting, if you're not playing, it's fine. But what can you do to put your team in a position to win? Yeah. No, that, that's a great that's attitude. That. Again, I, I didn't think that way. I was very selfish and still am pretty damn selfish. But That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, you're like, dude, I'm wearing the puka shells. I've got the bowl cut. Like, how am I not playing? Like... How am I supposed to grow my following if I'm not playing? I mean, I've got yeah. the look. I, I, I'm yeah. looking the part. 
Yeah, for Ben sure. was a big Puka Shells guy, so. <laughs> yeah, fat kid that never played. Uh, okay, so you, you go through middle school, the introduction to football, you're, you're loving it. Maybe you're not going to play, but you are loving it. You're loving to contribute to the team. Now we get into high school. Talk to us about the high school years. I want to take a quick break and thank our partners, Sleep Number, and highlight a couple of things they're doing. Guys, these Sleep Number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created, the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out at Sleep Number store wherever you live. Go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep Number is definitely changing the game when it comes to betting. So get yourself to Sleep Number. Get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. Yeah, so, you know, same position in the beginning, offense and defensive linemen. And early sophomore year, I was a third-string junior varsity center and defensive tackle. And I basically just said, I've had enough. I'm, I'm so sick of this, you know, not playing, not being where I want to be, not being as athletic I want as I want to be. And, you know, I had already been lifting weights and, and pushing myself to do that because I enjoyed lifting weights. But in that moment, early of my sophomore year, I flipped the switch and I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to play division one football, to play the highest level possible. And I said, you know, how can I get there? And I found log snapping and I said, this unique niche position, if I get good enough at it, then maybe there will be an opportunity for me to play in college for me to play at a really high level. And from then on out, it was, what do I need to do to get there? And I realized I have to work 10, 20, 30 times harder than everyone else just to be as good as them. So I would wake up at 5 a.m. every day, go practice long snapping, go to school, go to practice with my team, lift weights every single evening. And I did that for the next three years because I knew what I had to do to get to where I wanted to go. That's an interesting mental shift because you just said, yeah, I hated it. I was ready to be done with it. I was ready to quit. And then well, what, I, what was I, I the switch? I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to quit, but I was, I was in this position where I hated not playing. Gotcha. You know, I, I liked the camaraderie, I liked the team. And I said, I cannot stand being on the bench it was you know that part was miserable and so I made the decision that you know I'm going to play and I'm going to figure out a way to do it it might be in a different role than I am right now but I'm going to play how quickly did you get onto the field as a long snapper you know I played some sophomore year on on JV when I kind of switched you know I I obviously wasn't amazing yet I played a little bit and you know from then on out by you know junior year I was you know playing I was you know JV starter and then I think I did field goals on varsity just not punts so i started for field goals on varsity just not punts and then you know soft senior year i did both of them but you know it was it was a lot of work it was a lot of time it was a lot of uh dedication to getting myself to get to where i needed to go um you know it definitely didn't happen overnight yeah yeah you you don't sound like an excuse maker did you ever struggle with with excuses you know, in that time and thinking this isn't happening because of this, or this isn't going well because of that. No, not, not really. I think I've always been of the opinion that, you know, anything is possible if you you work hard and work smart and you can find a way to make it happen. And, you know, at the end of the day, everything that you don't have or that's wrong in your life. I mean, let's just be honest. It's your fault. Like you can't, you can't blame anyone else. Anything that you don't have or that you want or that is going wrong, at the core of it, yeah, there might be other factors, but at the core of it is your fault. And so most people would probably look back at that situation and say, oh, I, I wasn't playing because I wasn't athletic. 
I look back at that situation and say, I don't care that I wasn't athletic. I wasn't working hard enough when I was at that age when I was younger. Now, most seventh, eighth, ninth grade grade kids aren't going to be waking up at five and practicing, aren't going to be lifting weights, and that's okay. But realistically, if I had done that, yeah, I probably would have played. So it's that's the way I look at it. Okay. So uh, let's just after you get done saying um, no excuses, you just I didn't work hard enough. Um, looking back, <clears throat> what what obstacles do you think you had to go? Th- you had to overcome that others didn't that like you look back okay that that was a challenge that was something I had to work through whether it be um you know hey because here's what people do I was a long snapper too by the way um and I I never I snapped in a couple games NFL games but not um but I was always the bat I was always the number two guy um but it is a like precision game like you have to you have to put that ball and you have to put the laces, you have to put it exactly where, like the margin of error is not what people think it is. All right, well, if you get it on his body, no, no, no. If it's on, if a punter's right-footed, if it's not on his right hip, you've got about, legitimately, you've got about nine inches up or down that the punter is like comfortable. It doesn't take him out of his, his rhythm, his motion. So it is a precision game, and then, you know, for, for you where, okay, hey, sight lines, vision is just different. It is, it is much more challenging. Um, what do you think that you, what are the things that you had to overcome and how did you overcome them? You know, you know I think the biggest thing for me there was you know, getting people to give me that trust, getting people to give me that opportunity. That was the biggest obstacle. Okay. You know, yeah, I could say the biggest obstacle was my vision, but at the end of the day, it was, you know, how do I get people to believe that I can do this and do this at a high level? How do I get my coaches to trust me to be able to play? How do I get my teammates to trust me to be able to play? And I think that was formed through hard work, through dedication. You know, mm-hmm. when my coaches realized I was at school every morning at five, when my teammates saw me in the weight room every single day after school, they realized that I was putting in the work, the time, and the effort that no one else was putting in. And so I earned that trust. Was was that schedule, was that intuitive? Did you make that schedule yourself? Did, did you have a mentor saying, hey, here's what you need, you need to do, A, B, and C to get better? How did that work? You know, when it comes to the weightlifting part, I've realized that I need to put on weight, I need to gain size, I need to do, you know, things extra. And so that, that was more myself. However, you know, I had a lot of mentors th- throughout the years. You know, one in particular – you know, this, this guy, Steve Burton. And so he, um, you know, his entire family, you know, incredible athletes, his father played for the Patriots and, you know, was a, uh, you know, Patriots hall of famer, you know, his, he played in college at, I think Northwestern, his son played at, uh, you know, UCLA, um, you know, just whole family of athletes. And so every single morning, you know, it was me, my dad snapping and him and his son thrown, his son was a quarterback. And, you know, I think I learned from him that, what do you have to do to get to where you want to go? You know, every time if I had a bad snap in high school, when I was snapping to my dad, you know, he would see it from the corner of his eye and he'd yell over and tell me to give him some pushups or tell him me to you know, do X, Y, Z to, you know, learn from that, just to build that habit of consistency, to build that habit of, look, you know, you can hit the punter in the head right now and practice this one time, but you can't do that in a game. You need to get out of that habit. If you want to play in college, mm-hmm. you know, I, I learned that I think from him. Yeah. No, see, I, I love that. But I, I like your answer to like overcoming challenges because, you know, yes, physically 
there's there's different things that you have to master just technique wise with the position snapping you know speed uh, i mean there's a lot of things that you've got to do right but i love that you turned it to look the work's going to take care of that. If I work and I do enough repetitions, like I could have zero vision and hit him on the hip every single time, like put it in the same spot. Yeah. It's, it's about physically doing it, but then the consistency. And, and that's one thing I think people overlook is people want to have immediate trust without earning it. And they just want to, right? They just want to, well, why, why won't you give me this opportunity? Why, well, I don't, yeah. you haven't been here. The dude that's showing up to work and is at the office, you know, every single day at 7 a.m. and doesn't leave until 6, like, he's going to catch more opportunities because he's there and people like, okay, I know that he's, I can rely on him. And I love that you flipped it on that because that's so true. And not that you had a disability that they couldn't trust you. It's, it's literally with everybody on the team, it's can I trust you? I mean, it's a little dramatic, but we're putting our life on the line every day Going out here, hitting each other, like, again, very dramatic. Not parents, I promise you, you're not, your kid's not putting their life on the line. But it's like, hey, we're going to war. Can I trust you to do your job? And, and yeah. nothing, nothing builds trust more than consistency. Yeah. Yeah, Aaron, do you, and I think I know the answer based on what, how you're, you're speaking here. Are you somebody that you need to have all the answers before you jump in? Or are you like, no, I'm going to figure this out on the way as I go? No, it's, I mean, it's figuring out the way it a hundred percent and, you know, take that into the world of business. If you wait till you know everything, till you feel that you're ready, you're already going to lose. You're already behind, you know, the people in business who say, go read 15 books and, you know, learn from all of them, you know, are the ones who lose in business, you know, not saying that reading is important. Reading is great, but the people who say, I'm going to try this, fail at it, read a book on it implement what I learned and try it again and do it differently are the ones who win. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, doing this podcast the last two and a half years, meeting however many hundreds of people we've met through this and, or, you know, however many people, that's a common theme. That's my biggest takeaway is I'm very much somebody, or I used to be very much somebody who had to sit back paralysis by analysis. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to, I want to make sure I have all the answers before I jump in. That's what this has taught me. Speaking to people like you, that's what that's taught me is, no, make the mistakes. It's okay. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to screw up regardless whether you have all the answers or not. So yeah. just go ahead and jump in and try it. Yeah, just every time you do, do 20 push-ups. So at least you make mistakes, <laughs> but you're swole. At least I'm dumb and jacked <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> so so you, you set this, uh, this major goal, which, by the way, for anybody playing mm-hmm. Division I football, I didn't play Division I football. It's a rare – it's a, it's a hard thing to accomplish. At what point did it start to look like, hey, this could happen for me? Division one football could be a thing. I think it was really summer before my senior year of high school. You know, junior year, I was okay. I was fine. But summer before senior year, you know, I was ranked as one of the top long snappers in the nation. And I was ranked as one of the top overall prospects of any position in Massachusetts. And I knew that there was an opportunity. You know, the thing with long snappers, though, is – it's not like you're a top quarterback schools aren't knocking down your door to sign right, you right. and so yeah some schools reached out to me but i had to do a lot of outreach yeah. you know it was my first introduction to like sales mm-hmm. i cold emailed every single college coach in the country so many times until Did they really? told me to stop or didn't respond i cold called most schools in the country until i got answers 
the amount of campuses I just showed up on and asked to talk to the coaches was is ridiculous. <laughs> like I did whatever it took to get in front of coaches. That's awesome. That where, where were you hoping to go? Like, where was your dream school? I mean, I talked, I talked to coaches everywhere. I mean, I remember I specifically, I was in North Carolina for one trip. So I showed up, at, you just, they wouldn't respond to my emails or calls. So I showed up at UNC, <laughs> I showed up at NC state and just, you know, waited to try to like, I remember at UNC, I showed up. And the person at the front desk was like, oh, well, like so-and-so coach is in a meeting. I was trying to meet with the special teams coach. She was like, you know, maybe if you come back in a few hours, you know, you can meet with them. I'm sure that they did not expect me to come back in a few hours. I <laughs> walked around campus for four hours. I had lunch, showed up right back there four hours later and sat there until he came out and met with me. Now, I didn't get an offer from UNC, but it's the point. Yeah, mm -hmm. dude, you got the dog in you. So <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this before I make a comment. Did you ever just like out in front of the coach's office, like in the parking lot, just start like, just snapping? Start snapping? <laughs> um, not not like that per se. Um, you should have set up like a coke can on a trash can and just started knocking that thing off. <laughs> so the reason I say that we so we office at the Star, which is the headquarters for the Cowboys, and they have they have this. Uh, it's called the Tostitos Plaza, and um, cause I think, uh, I think Frito, Fritos sponsor yeah. it. Frito-Lay. No, not Frito-Lay. Uh, Fritos. <laughs> just Fritos. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so there's this turf field, but it would blow your mind. How many guys go out there like fully padded, like with visors and they'll like go run routes and have people like thinking that Jerry's going to look at him through the glass, which, by the way, is a gym. It's not even his offices. <laughs> through the glass, thinking that they're going to get a job that way. Like, I love the persistency. Like, hey, listen, I called, I emailed, I was in the area. I'm going to pop in. I just want to introduce myself. I'd love to just drop off some game tape. I needed you to put my face to my name, whatever. Whatever mm -hmm. your sales approach is. Yeah. But, but – <laughs> That's why I had to preface I mean, because no, if you did, these, these just random, these random people are just out on that field. Like, oh yeah. Rats. Once yeah. a week, at least. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. The, the way he's describing it and, and it is, it's, it's a lot creeper than it sounds like what you were doing. What, what you were doing is actually true hustle yes. and initiative. That's what so, I'm saying. So here's, here's the question though. Are any of them actually decent or do they all need to be told? No. Oh no, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. No. no, I think I saw a dude in like boxer briefs and a wife beater out there running the other day. <laughs> They're not because he, he didn't have compression shorts or something. <laughs> yeah, they're not top rank recruits, and I mean, you actually had a legitimate yeah. resume to go yeah. around and show yeah. up to these places. That I'm, I'm super impressed by that. Honestly, I, I know Tyler's making fun of it, but I'm not making fun of you, Aaron. <laughs> I'm, I'm like that is legit because that's the way you do it. I mean, it, we're in, we're in sales. We do yeah. literally the same thing every day. But that would I'm, also that would be like me going to like a, a tech company's office with a lease and me sitting down in their conference room and just marking up a lease in their office. Like, see what I can do. See what I can do. No, I'm actually sitting here thinking though, Aaron, you should come join our real estate firm. Cause come with, on. That, with that hustle, dude, you come on. kill it in this business because that's <laughs> exactly you. what it takes, man. It takes a, it. How do you handle uh, apparently pretty well rejection i mean it's like you don't care if you get a no apparently rejection doesn't rejection doesn't matter yeah you know if you had 27 no's guess what you're what you're 27 no's closer to a yes like you might get a yes on your 42nd time but you're not going to get it on the first you're yeah. not going to get in the second and the sooner that you can accept that the more success you'll have i one of my main businesses is speaking mm -hmm. i send out hundreds if not thousands of emails cold emails it's all automated i have a whole system built every single day to people at companies, events, schools, wherever, you know how many of them respond? 
a very low percentage. But that's because you know you have to factor in open rates, what goes into spam, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you got to send out a thousand emails to get a couple of replies. Yeah, and I don't care. You know, I, that's the whole reason why I've built a very successful speaking business is because the amount of people that on a daily basis tell me that like how did you get my email don't contact me again or please fuck off like it's if, if i don't get one of those every single day by like 12 i'm like pretty disappointed in myself you're, you're not hitting enough people if you don't get to those exactly I love so, that. I love so is that something that you had to just like dealing with rejection was that just something through repetition or have you always been that way like it just doesn't bother me i mean just something you learn over time i think like whether yeah. it be applying you know or trying to get in front of coaches whether it be trying to land a deal whether it be you know when you're younger and trying to ask out a girl like if you if you can't take it take rejection you know you're not going to get anywhere yeah. you got to understand that like no's are good yep. you know yeah. get you closer to the yes think about I, I think about how many talented people out there that never got an opportunity never realized their potential because <laughs> they did exactly what you said not to do Right. Mm-hmm. They quit on the 30th try and not the yeah. 47th try when they got the yes. I mean, think about how many opportunities have been missed. Yeah. I mean, I, I myself, I don't handle rejection well. Like I, I handle criticism really well, but I don't handle no's. I don't handle rejection well. I just think of all of the people out there that, that had the talent, that had the ability that just didn't persist because yeah. they couldn't yeah. handle the rejection. Yeah. So yeah. keep talking through some of these rejection stories of colleges, right? Trying to trying to get an opportunity to, to realize your dream. Yeah. So, you know, I, and, and I'm not going to name the school in this instance, but I, I, USC, Mar- Maryland, Texas, Harvard, Yale, Princeton. <laughs> we, we can go all day here. <laughs> Fresno State. <laughs> no, they would open. They would have welcomed you with open arms, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. We're idiots. Go ahead. <laughs> oh God. Um, I, I was at the school visiting. You know, talking with this coach. He had invited me for an unofficial visit. I hadn't yet told him about my vision, and that was something back in high school. You know, I think I really struggled with for a time of like, how do I tell these coaches mm-hmm. about me being legally blind? Mm-hmm. You know, if they didn't know already and get that across, and so. We had a visit, you know, I walked around with the team with him. It went really well. And by the end of the visit, I was like, well, this gone well. I might get an offer. I got to, I got to tell him about my vision. You know, it's something I just felt I had to do. Yeah. Um, told him about my vision. He seemed fine with it. You know, next week goes by. I hadn't heard anything. Send an email to one check in. Didn't hear anything. The following week goes by and I saw that they offered a different long snapper. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was pissed. And in my mind, it was, you know, is the fact that I told him that the thing that caused him not to give me that opportunity. And it was honestly very challenging. It yeah. was it was a hard moment. But the thing that I had to realize was, you know, I can't change the fact that they didn't want me. Yeah. But what I could do is understand that I'm a very good long snapper. Some coach will, you know, benefit from having me on their team. Mm-hmm. I can be pissed off for the next, you know, 10 minutes or one hour or 12 hours or day. But after that day period passes, I can't think about it anymore. The The biggest issue with most people, whether it be in sports, in business, in life, in, I don't care, any area, is that they let the no's, they let the failures, they let the rejections, they let the bad days turn into bad weeks, turn into bad months, turn into bad years. Yeah. If you can take a situation and say, can I control what just happened? 
No. Okay. I'm going to be pissed off for the next hour. Go. I don't care. Go punch a hole in your wall. If you want, I, it doesn't affect <laughs> me and then get over it and then move on and move on to the next opportunity. But most people let it fester and focus on it for the next week and get nothing else done. Yeah, that's, that's good. No, that, that's, that's excellent advice. It's just, how do you apply it if you do struggle with it? You know? Yeah. I think you gotta identify it. Your point is like, can I control it or can I change it? That's mm -hmm. the other thing too, right? Like it's not in my control to change the past. Like something already happened. There's nothing. Is there something I can, I think that's the question is, is there something I can do to change the outcome? Yep. Okay. And then if the answer is no, then, okay. Like, yeah, like you said, there, it's okay to have that mourning period where it's like, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm just pissed. Like I, I am. And that's yeah. okay. Um, I think it's healthy, but then like you said, move on. Do, yep. do, you, do you think that ability for you comes from the fact that you were born, you know, with, with your vision impaired? Like, and that's something that you literally couldn't, can't do anything about? You know, maybe I, 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 I'm not exactly sure there, but here's mm -hmm. the thing. And this might answer your question in a very indirect way, but I say it all the time when I talk of, you know, things in life happen for you and not to you. And so I am so grateful, so thankful, so blessed that I was born legally blind. Because being legally blind has allowed me to have incredible experiences, meet amazing people, and have just outstanding opportunities. I, 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 who knows if I would have played Division One football? Who knows if I would have been team captain or an NFL free agent or you know been a successful speaker and entrepreneur? I probably wouldn't have been most of those things if I wasn't legally blind. And so I can only look back on that situation with gratitude, with yeah. thankfulness, with understanding that like it is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah so, so far, man, lots impressive about you, but, but three attributes that are sticking out is your ability to handle rejection, your ability to move on from things that, that you have no control over. And that last thing that you just said, uh, that's impressive because you're, you're totally right. We hear all these things, we hear all these lessons, but until we actually have to apply it, they don't really mean much. They're just words. But for yeah. you, I can yeah. tell you actually live it. Yeah, I actually, it's a funny story for you on, on the whole getting over rejection part piece. And I didn't come up with this. A, a friend of mine, you know, who's also, you know, an entrepreneur and, 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 you know, built multiple businesses, you know, someone asked him one time, you know, hey, you know, I have a fear of rejection, a fear of failure, you know, people, uh, I'm always afraid of people judging me, you know, how do I get over it? And he was like, all right, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go to the nearest Whole Foods. I want you to go to the middle of, you know, an aisle. And I just want you to lie down in the middle of the aisle. And just stay there for like a solid two minutes and the amount of people and, and count the amount of people that say something to you no one said anything to him because no one gives a shit no one cares about you as much as you think they do i'm gonna go try that something ridiculous like that that will get you to get over the whole fear of yeah. failure and fear of rejection oh you're i mean you so you true. nailed it right oh there. Yeah. i mean how you're many so of us right. think that we are the center of the universe everything yeah. that i do everybody around me yeah. judges and they're talking about it when they go home no, they are not. Like, think about how many people you think about during the day. Very rarely are you worried <laughs> yeah. about anybody else. We're so, I mean, we're all so self-centered. We all think yep. the, the universe revolves around us. Yep. So why would, why would everyone else think about you? <laughs> they're, they're in their own universe. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good yeah. point. All right. So, dude, you, you keep distracting. I want to go back to this recruiting process and and. Okay, we, we established that Yale, the coach, they, uh, they signed somebody else. 
<laughs> yeah, I hate the freaking USC Trojans. I hate them oh, now. Oh, the worst. Okay, so you see this other guy. This was was this after your senior season, or was this leading up to your senior season? Um, I don't remember. I okay. think the summer in between junior and senior year. Okay, so you, you handle rejection so well, you don't even remember that. That's yeah. awesome. But but you did end up going to not, not well, spoiler to, alert. No, 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 yeah, spoiler no, no, alert. No, 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 no. Go, Aaron. Go. <laughs> Keep, talk us through the rest of that process. Yeah. So, you know, I just kept contacting schools, kept doing that outreach and, you know, eventually got an opportunity to play at Tulane and, you know, it was a perfect fit. The coaches were totally fine with it. They, you know, were, you know, happy to have me and, you know, it, you know, then I went to Tulane. It was a great opportunity. What was that recruiting trip like to Tulane? Like, how did you know know, this is the place for me? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I forget if I had mentioned to them beforehand or not about me being legally blind. I, I'm not sure. But, you know, when the coach and I were talking for a couple months and he was like, look, you know, we want to you know, give you an offer to come here. You know, I was like, great. Well, I want to see the school first. So I went down, went for a visit, you know, walked around the facility, talked with them. And, you know, I just straight up told him in the meeting again, same as the Maryland coach, but just said, look, I, I think you know this already, but this is my vision. This is my situation. As you can tell, it doesn't affect how I play mostly, but you know, it's something that you need to know. And he was totally fine with it. Sweet. And he was like, look, if you can play, you can play. Yeah. And he gave me that opportunity. I so, think he just admitted the school that, oh, yeah, that rejected just, him. Just breeze over it. Um, so, <laughs> so Tulane is a very culturally, right? It's just New Orleans is very different than Boston. What was that transition like for you? I, it was definitely different in the beginning because it's, you know, however many thousand miles away yeah. from home as 18, but it was an incredible experience. Awesome. I mean, I don't know if I would want to live in New Orleans now or not. I, I don't know. But living in New Orleans from 18 to 22 is <laughs> probably the absolute best time. Probably no better place well, in the country, <laughs> arguably, right? I mean, unless you're – I mean, all the other cool spots, Vegas, Miami, L.A., New York, that's all too expensive. You can't afford anything. Like uh, New, New Orleans, like, is pretty cheap. Yeah. The food is insane. Yeah. The nightlife is ridiculous. Yeah. The, you know, freaking Mardi Gras, yeah. like – it yeah. was such a fun time. That's no, awesome. I, I went and visited my freshman year in college. I went, had a buddy that went to Tulane, and I, I was coming from a small private Christian school, <laughs> and, so, and so Tulane was quite the quite the different experience. Say, yeah, it's uh, but it's also a damn good school. Like it's hard to yeah. get into. So yeah. kudos yeah. to you for not only playing ball, but uh-huh. the grade you must have had to have to to get in, accepted into Tulane. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, definitely football helped to an extent, but I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. What did you uh what did you what did you choose to major in? What was your I studied finance. Oh, okay. So you are a smart man. Yeah. Way smarter. <laughs> Quick, six hundred times forty three. Just kidding. So yeah, so I mean, I guess walk us through college career, right? It's it's a it's a different level of intensity. It's not it's not now, hey, I gotta I gotta squeeze football in around life, right? Fit it in. Now it's like, okay, everything else is built around football, like your class schedule, you know, your yep. tutoring, all of this stuff is is built into your schedule. So now you're just immersed in it. And then, you know, we go to class when you when you can well, I went to class when I could. Yeah. When He's I, a finance major. He had to go to class. I felt like it, but yeah, I was a college. You were human studies or some weird yeah. fake major. <laughs> yeah. it, was either, oh, it was either criminal science, black history, or, uh, yeah, calm. And I yeah. chose calm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, what was the college experience like other than the yeah. fun? You know, for me in the beginning, it was understanding that I was at the bottom of the totem pole, you know, on the team. It was understanding that, like, no one cares what you did in high school. No one cares how good you are. No one cares what awards you won. No one gives a shit. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, 
you are a part of a team, you are a freshman, you may play, you may not, but you need to understand that in the beginning, you are not going to be a starter. You are not going to see the field and understand that I had a lot to learn. I had a long way to go. And that's how I kind of treated it in the beginning. Did you redshirt that freshman year or did you, were you suited up? So I suited up. I didn't play my freshman year, but I suited up. Okay. Yeah, specialists typically, like, There's in no the case shirt. of an emergency. No, you still redshirt. It's just a matter of you play. Gotcha. Just because you yeah. dress, it doesn't matter. But um, yeah. typically, all of the specialists on the roster will dress just in case. Just in case. Yeah. So. I, it really depends how many specialists there are on the roster. But, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. No, how, a good amount. How many other yeah. long snappers were you competing with? So at the time, it was me and really one other guy i mean we had we had more during other years but my freshman year was me and one other guy and he was older he had started the year before like he was he was the start the return of the incumbent okay so you get through your freshman year and and you didn't you said you didn't get to play much were there any thoughts of you know maybe this isn't i'm just not cut out for this doesn't sound like you have that mentality but no i i loved it it was it was my favorite thing in the world i i loved it you know my sophomore year i played for the first time my first game was in October against University of Central Florida. Mm. And after that, two months later, my coaching staff actually got fired because oh. we went three and nine my freshman and sophomore year. And so I was put in this position of uncertainty, of not knowing what was going to happen, of frustration, of fear, because I had the assumption that I contacted every coach in the country. This was mm. the one that gave me that shot. The new one's coming in. I probably contacted and they told me no or didn't get back to me. Why would they give me a shot here? Mm. And so it created all this anxiety in me, honestly. And I thought about quitting football. I thought about transferring schools to play a different team without even having that discussion. And when they came in, I ended up sitting down with the head coach. We had a conversation, you know, he had heard of me, but didn't know a ton. And, you know, he was uncertain as well because he just didn't know the best way to work with me. It never worked with someone like me. And we had a conversation. We basically just said, let's do spring ball and see what happens. If we have to have this talk again, then we'll have this talk again. And we not only do we never have that talk again, but two years later, he named me a team captain during my senior year. <laughs> That's awesome. What who was story. that staff? Who was the head coach that came in? Uh, coach Fritz. Fritz, okay. Is so, he still there? He is, he is. Coach okay. Willie Fritz, he came from Georgia Southern. You know, amazing mm, person, that, great, yeah. great mentor and, and yeah. friend of mine. So, awesome. so you start playing a little bit your sophomore year. Staff gets fired. Do you play junior, senior year? Are you the starter? Yeah. Uh, You know, I I played a good amount for field goals, but I didn't ever do punts there because we ran a spread style. um, Oh, the the Australian. It it would not have been safe for me to, you know, run downfield and, you know, in a division one game. Now in high school, that was different. My coaches told me not to run downfield and I would run downfield. I didn't care. (laughs) In, in, in practice at school too at Tulane, I you know they would tell me stay there, don't run downfield. I I didn't care. I would snap the ball and I would release and sprint as fast as I could yeah. and you know try and knock the shit out of someone. Um, <laughs> but but in that in that moment, you know my teammates knew okay, like you can hit Aaron, but like mm. don't knock the shit out of him on the side that he can't see. Right. Yeah. Now, right. In in an actual game, no one on the other team is going to know that. So I I didn't yeah. do punts in college. Yeah. Okay. All right. Man. So, all right. So, get named captain. What did that? What did that mean to you? What mm-hmm. I mean, what what did that tell you about your journey? You know, it was one of the greatest moments there at school. You know, I was so happy, so thankful for it because it showed that not only was I you know, a good player, but I was able to prove that I did what I said was I was going to do. I was a leader. I was willing to put the team before myself and and my coaches realized the hard work, the dedication 
that I was putting in each and every day on the field, in the weight room, in the classroom with my teammates to get to where I wanted to go and where I wanted to get us to go. And it, it meant a lot. What did you think about when you when you found out you were a team captain? Like, did did your mind go back to those seventh grade, eighth grade, you know, all those early mornings? What what, what was going through your head when you found that out? I mean, in the moment, it was just soaking it up and, and being thankful for it and, and living in the moment right then and there. I think afterwards, it was really thinking about, you know, what what led to that. Yeah. You know, one thing that that you know, in high school, I, I wasn't a captain. I was honestly actually pretty annoyed and, and pissed off my senior year of high school that I wasn't a captain. I thought I deserved it because, you know, I was the one up at 5 a.m. every day practicing. I was in the weight room every day. And I, I thought I, you know, deserved it more than anyone on the team. And I wasn't named captain. And that pissed me off. And, you know, I got over it. But I realized, and, and when I was named a captain in college, you know, that meant so much. And I was like, well, you know what? I did it. Yeah. It was at a much higher level. And I yeah, did. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right, being a captain in high school is a whole lot less significant than this right here. This, oh, mean, yeah. this means so mm -hmm. much more. Yeah. yeah. No one yeah. cares late, you know, 10 years later, if you were a captain in high school, no one cares two years later, if you're a captain yeah. in high school. Yeah. No doubt. No. So well, some people care the ones that were captains that's, yeah. they, keep, they keep telling you 20 I, years later. I care because I still wear my letter jacket to team phone. To okay, you call it letter jacket. <laughs> it, yeah, do you, do you call it letter men or do you call it letter jacket? Letter. Letter. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah well, we, we call it letter jacket. That's so weird. Y'all, yeah. y'all in West Texas are just a different breed. <laughs> well, that, that's a fact. <laughs> so you accomplished this Division One goal. Were there any thoughts? Hey, I want to go play professionally now. Yeah. So after my senior year, I didn't want to stop. I, you know, wanted to play in the NFL. I wanted to make it. So I started training for my pro day. I flew out to San Diego for part of the spring semester and trained with uh, John Carney and a bunch of yeah. guys, NFL and D one kickers, punters, and long snappers and you know, got ready for my pro day, did very well, honestly, and, you know, talked to a, you know, a couple teams and, you know, continued the conversation afterwards and, and tried to keep it going. But uh, eventually it didn't work out. And, you know, I pivoted away from it into the world of business and, and other opportunities. So go ahead. I was just going to say, what, what made you decide it's not going to work out? Meaning they told, they rejected you, but why did you handle this rejection in, in a different way than you had previously? Yeah. You know, I think there's, there's a few reasons. Like, could I have, bounced around between camps and, and been a free agent for a while and tried to make a team and, you know, maybe had made one four years later. Yeah, maybe I could have, I, I don't know, but I think a, a couple things, a in the NFL, there's no backup log snappers on teams really. I mean, yes. You know, like you said earlier, when you we were talking, maybe a linebacker or a tight end or someone else can snap, but on the physical roster, there's usually really only one. So that means there's 32 spots. Yeah. If a long snapper doesn't get hurt or screw up, they're there for 10 or 15 years, yeah. which means it's typically pretty hard for a spot to open up right at the same time i also had a lot of other interests a lot of other things that i wanted to do and you know look i had this idea that if i was going to make a team i was going to make it now that was my goal mm -hmm. but i didn't want to be that person who set aside all my other goals waited six years to make it never make it and then put myself six years behind yeah. and so that's that's kind of what my focus was yeah yeah no me, me and you kind of went through the same thought process tyler on the other hand said no i am gonna stick it out i am gonna and it, and it ended up working out yeah, for six him. years later i i, I i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> three years later <laughs> <laughs> three, three no but I, I do think it, like me and you we we decided hey we got to these other interests let's move on with life tyler did not and it worked out so I do I had, think about I, well, that. Let's be clear. I had other interests, but I just <laughs> had not moved on. No, he's a 
a dumb football he player. That's had all he cared about. Else going for him, and it was like, hey, <laughs> this is the only reason yeah. that you're alive. So keep chasing it. <laughs> no, but I do think about that sometimes. Is should I have pushed harder? Should I have tried? Should I have gone yeah. and played in Canada? Should I have played Arena League? Did you have any of those regrets at all? I wouldn't say regrets. You know, I'm thankful for for where I you know ended up. You know, do I wish sometimes that I had made a team and, and, you know, would I have loved to, you know, been playing on Sundays? Absolutely. But I don't regret the path I, I took. I don't mm-hmm. regret the choices I made by any means. I made the right decision for me. Mm-hmm. You know, would it have been nice to, you know, been been playing for an NFL team? Absolutely. But, yeah. you know, I think the things happen in the way they're supposed to. And, you know, I might not be doing the things I'm doing today if I had actually made a team. Yeah. So I want to transition to those other interests that you're talking about at post football. Um, but and I'm and I'm and I've been kind of wrestling. Do I ask this now? Do I ask this at the end of the show? But football, Aaron gave you um, a path slash purpose slash. And I, and I want to loosely say this because I don't want I want I don't. It doesn't come from me, but I'm sure there's some identity wrapped up in that too, right? Mm-hmm. You became look. You know, you overcame obstacles. Yeah. You worked harder than everybody. You were that guy. Like you said, you were pissed. Like, hey, I'm I'm here working more than everybody else. Like, I'm putting everything I am to this. So, innately, identity becomes attached to that position, right? The hard worker, the football player. So, now you walk away. And, and even just to say, like, the identity, I'm sure there was press and publicity saying, hey, the first legally blind Division one football player ever. Like you were that guy. Like that's a yeah. big, big deal. But like as you transition out of it, now you're stepping away from that. I used to be that guy as opposed to I am yeah. that guy. How did you handle that? All right, I want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner, Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, we are really, really humbled uh, and grateful to be a partner for them. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, uh, you've heard how great the resort is there, how great the casino is, the new expansion. They've doubled in size, 3,000 new slots. They've got unbelievable sports bar. They've got unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable movie theaters, arcades for kids. It is endless, the things that they've not only improved but added. Um, but it's just an the, the experience that they provide is second to none. Choctaw Nation has done an incredible job with the community, with philanthropy, with support. Um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, but it's just a short drive of 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. You know, the first year out was definitely challenging. It was really hard. Um, I went into the world of finance directly after college. You know, took a job in, in the wealth management world. At least you picked and... something exciting, you know. <laughs> Riveting. <laughs> I was about to say no stadiums, offense, uh, no stadiums, offense, but you stadiums could, full of people watching you do spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah you you couldn't pick a more opposite career than football uh, and, and finance. So went went into that field, and I was essentially at the beginning. I was working for financial advisors. Mm-hmm. I was a you know private wealth associate, you know, doing the back end bullshit like you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, you said it, not us. <laughs> I, I hinted at it. <laughs> um, I hated it. I was miserable. I, I, I missed football. I, I hated what I was doing. And, you know, I, I didn't hate the area I was in at the time. And I'll get into more of this in a bit. But so I didn't like the situation I was in at all. I missed football. It was a challenge. And I eventually, you know, networked my way. At the time, I was living in Washington, D.C. for the first year after college decided that I wanted to network my way into a role as an actual financial advisor. Mm-hmm. 
And so I did that and, and moved to Boston, back to Boston, where I got a role as a financial advisor. And, you know, did that for a few years. And my goal at the time was I want to, you know, manage, you know, billions of dollars for clients, mm. you know, be one of, you know, the top people in, in the country, in the world. And, you know, I, I you know, by no means got anywhere close to billions of dollars that would have taken 30 years. Mm. But, you know, I, I did decently for myself, but I never enjoyed it. I, I really didn't. Um, it wasn't fun. It wasn't something I wanted to continue to do the rest of my life. Um, while I was doing that, I, I built a business for myself as a speaker, you know, where, you know, I had a lot of experience in college and, and high school for interviews. I was on Good Morning America. I was on, you know, so many other things and, and asked to speak, you know, when my coaches wanted me to. Um, and so I realized that I, I wanted to build something for myself. And in the beginning it was, how do I create an additional stream of revenue? And when I started, it was like, oh, if I get paid, you know, 500,000 bucks to talk somewhere, I, you know, that extra thousand bucks a month, you know, who wouldn't want that? And that was my thought in the beginning. Oh, 500 yeah, or 1,000. I was like, dude, hook me up. I'll take it's, half of it. It sounded like you said 500,000. 500 dash thousand. Or 1,000. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, and so that, that you know, it, it built very quickly and, and, you know, built into something where, you know, I was speaking all over all the time, both virtually and in person and making a lot more than that. And I eventually left the world of finance and continued to grow that. And now I'm in a place where, you know, I'm ex I've expanded on that. So I don't need to, you know, travel as much all the time to do it. And it's led to other business opportunities where, you know, my business now focuses on you know, speaking for me and other people that are involved with our team, you know, booking them to speak as well as, you know, workshops and consulting with companies and, and sports teams and events on different topics. So you're not in finance at all anymore. So nope. when, did, how did you make that he handled, decision? He to, handles his own finances. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> now I do make 500,000. How, how, did, how did you decide, okay, I don't like, maybe the decision was obvious, but I don't like this. How did you decide to walk away and transition? Because I knew that when I was building things and being an entrepreneur and, and doing what I wanted to do, I loved every second of it. And when I was going to work in a suit every day and dealing with clients and their problems and issues that I just didn't want to deal with, I wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. And so it was pretty obvious to me to go fall into what I was building. Yeah. Did you have like a, a plan in place or were you like, nope, I'm out. This sucks. I'm, do I'm doing something different. You know, I had already built my speaking business to the point where I was making good money from it. And so, you know, I was in the process of developing it to, you know, what it is now with other areas. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I was comfortable that I was saying, you know, even if I leave finance, I'm making good money from speaking so I can leave this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's this myth that to be an entrepreneur, you have to like give up everything, start from scratch <laughs> yeah. and you have to live off a of top ramen. Like in order to be a real entrepreneur, that's what you have to do. And that's, that's not the case, right? No. You can build something no. while you're doing your day job. But well, guess, that's the smart thing. That's yeah. the, the smart way to do it is like, look, build something while you're doing something else. Yeah. It doesn't need to be that you're making, you know, a hundred grand a month, you know, or, yeah. or 50 grand a month or whatever, but build something to cover your expenses. Yeah. And then when you're, you know, 70% of what you need is there, mm -hmm. then you quit your nine to five, you quit yeah. your job because then you go all into it and your income is going to skyrocket because you're focusing even more on it. Yeah. That's what an intelligent financial planner would say right there. Well done. You, <laughs> you should still be a financial planner. No. 
<laughs> no, he needs to he needs to speak in front of people and teach people these things. So oh, God. Uh, you want me you want me to be your agent? <laughs> um, all right. So when did you when did you I get take us back to years? Uh, when did you graduate college? Uh, May of 2018. So 2018. a little over two years ago. Okay, so so you had a couple years of being a financial advisor, and then did you start the public speaking thing pre-COVID? Yeah, I started it probably like end of 2019, so only okay. a handful of months before, honestly. Okay. And I was, you know, I had done a lot of speaking before that, but it yeah. was all for free. Yeah. You know, it was all, so I was fairly decent at it by then, but it was all for free. And so I went into COVID when most people who were speakers, their businesses were getting destroyed yes. because you know, all the live events were done. I took it and I said, how can I make a name for myself while everyone else is screwing up yeah. and build something from scratch? And I got really good at automation, got really good at cold outreach, got really good at, you know, how do you book, you know, virtual events. I did in the, ne the next like few years, next couple of years because of COVID, I also did eight Ted talks. Most of them were virtual. I did two in person, but, and it wasn't, that wasn't my goal. My goal was like, let's do one or two just to get them on my resume. Yeah. And I can talk about this more in a minute, but like getting a Ted talk is a lot less impressive than most people think it is. And I can talk you no, don't, through don't, how I actually did that. No, don't tell the secret. It's impressive. Yeah. Go, super keep, impressive. Go with that. <laughs> yeah. I but, mean, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I realized, you know, so many of these people wanted me to speak. And so I landed a handful of them and, you know, I just kept doing that same process to get myself booked and paid to speak both virtually and in person. And, you know, it's just grown, you know, so much, you know, I have speeches all the time. I have, you know, I'm going to the middle of nowhere in Canada in November to work with a company for a couple of days, nice. you know, li literally in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm, I'm what town is it? Regina, Red, Red Lakes, Canada. Oh, that's really a name. And, and by the way, I didn't say it was a, a v, the, it's, it's an R Saskatchewan Rough Riders, yeah, right? Yeah. Regina. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to us about virtual versus in person. We're having a great time, but yeah. we would be having an even better time if you were here in person or if we were there with yeah. you in person. Talk to us and about that dynamic as a speaker. I mean, first off, next time I'm in Dallas, we, yes. should, uh, we yes. should do it. I'll actually be in Dallas this fall, so maybe we'll uh, yeah. us up. Let us, maybe we'll meet up. Let us yeah. know. We'll do a whole thing. We'll have you. We'll have you come speak to our team too. Yeah, I think that would, would be, love to. That would be um, awesome. I'm Absolutely. speaking at an event in, in Dallas this fall, so I'll let you yes. guys know after this. But, Please, um, perfect. You know, in, in person is always more fun. You know, it's it's so much better because the environment, the culture, the what the energy in the room, like there's no better feeling and no closer feeling to playing in a game in front of thousands of people mm -hmm. than being on stage in front of thousands of people. Like Agreed. that's that's such a good feeling. Agreed. And you know, you can't necessarily control the fact that so many companies weren't doing in person and a lot of them still aren't. And so if you want to make money, if you want to improve, you have to adapt and you yeah. have to learn how to engage people over, you know, a virtual event. Yeah. And, you know, yes, I would prefer in person, but at the same time, like the fact that I can get paid very well to sit at home at my computer and talk to a company <laughs> is outstanding. Yes, please. Yeah. And it helps your message helps, you know, whether it's virtual, whether it's in person, because it's authentic, it's legitimate. It's not, yep. you're not just spewing something you read in a book somewhere. You're talking yep. about your life here and the challenges yep. that you've had to overcome and it, and it comes through, man. It, it's impressive. Again, those three attributes I talked about earlier, but it's just impressive. Just the way that you speak and, and your messaging again, it's not fake. Yeah. It's legit. Yeah. So I, I, I agree. I want to go back to your point about, replicating that feeling and one thing that athletes struggle with 
coming out of whatever their respective sport, right? Is that high that comes with yeah. um, competing? And and I would agree that speaking, which you know is is well, everybody talks about it, right? The, one of the number one fears for someone is to get up and speak in front mm-hmm. of an audience. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll also agree that I sweat just as much for speaking as I did during football games. And, uh, and by the way, my wife could find me on the field because my pants were always a different color than everybody else out there because I sweat so much. So if I ever speak to your company, if you're hearing me, I apologize in advance for how much I sweat up on stage. It's a little awkward. It gets weird. Um, but as you're, as you're pursuing this uh, speaking career and building the business of bringing on other speakers and getting them coached up and trained them and then working with companies on you know, a consulting basis. Um, so what, what is the, what is the next move for you? You mentioned you're moving. So let's talk through, through that next move for you and, and why California, the strategic move there. And yeah. So my girlfriend moved to California back in October for work. Mm. And I mean, that's the reason I'm moving out there to, to be near her. Mm. And I've been basically been flying back and forth between Boston and LA the past like nine, 10 months. And mm. It has, on top of like all my other travel for things, it's been a lot and uh, we've been able to make it work, but I no longer have a need to be in Boston long-term and who knows, maybe we'll move back here down the road, but she's staying there for the time being. So I'm moving out there and, you know, looking forward to that. Where is she from originally? She's from outside of Boston as well, a different town, but uh, but outside of Boston. Did you all meet during, after, before college? Uh, So after college, the summer before COVID. Okay. Mm. Good for you. All right. So is there is sorry, go ahead. No. Is there an advantage to being in LA for what you're doing? Is does that give you a, a benefit at all? You know, I think there will be realistically. I mean at the end of the day, you know, what I'm doing is, you know, building a company that does speaking engagements, does workshops, does consulting. And so, you know, I can do that from wherever because a lot of it's virtual, a lot of it's, you know, a person that I have mm-hmm. to travel across the country or wherever. But, you know, a lot of the people I'm trying to get connected with you know, to be on my team and to work with us for other speakers that we'll work with are very well-known athletes, entrepreneurs, executives. And mm-hmm. I think being in LA will give me the opportunity to network and to hopefully get more into some of those circles that I want to get myself into. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it will definitely be a, a good thing, I think, for my business, at yeah. least for the next few years. I would, I would agree with you. I mean, still, even after the, the exodus that you're seeing the Toyotas leave, you're seeing all these large corporations leave California, still has more corporate headquarters than any other state. So, I mean, yep. the amount of business that is mm-hmm. done from an economy standpoint, I mean, I don't know the most recent, but I mean, it's a top five economy globally. And so yep. when, when you look at it, at the opportunity for what you're doing, no, I mean, no doubt there can be a strategic advantage for being there. Uh, it's just the yep. travel, right? Like it's, if, if you, it's harder to go. So what I'm doing here, by the way, subtly selling Dallas because it's in the middle point. Um, <laughs> it's in the middle. But it's yeah, easier, it's, yeah. yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly. But I mean, you know, if you got to fly to New York or Boston or Miami, I mean, that's, that's a whole day of travel, man. I mean, if you're, <laughs> if you could literally leave in the morning from Dallas and be in Miami for a 10 o'clock speech. I'm just saying, I mean, yeah. just. <laughs> I mean, but so the, the goal of the company, and, and it's not to be like a typical speakers bureau where, you know, 5,000 people are listed on it and you can book anyone. But, you know, the goal is to build out a team of other very well-known people, whether it's athletes, executives, entrepreneurs, people like that, that we can really train up on the topics that we focus on. And eventually we'll expand on the topics that we're focusing on. And that way we can, you know, place them and book them to speak. They get a cut. I get a cut. 
around the country at these events that want us to come into. And yes, I'll still do certain events, but then it's a lot less travel. You know, yeah. if we have someone in Miami who we work with or in Florida who we work with and a company wants them to come speak, wants us to come speak on leadership, I can say, look, you know, yeah, if you specifically want me, we can make it happen. Or we have XYZ, who's a big name person, and they can come down and, and be there you know, for this date and it's a lot easier and, yeah. and that's the goal. So it's a lot less taxing on me. Yeah. yeah. That's a great idea. What's, so what's the company called? Initiate connections. Initiate, Initiate connections. connections. So when you get an athlete executive, whoever, uh, you know, on your team that, that speaks, let's just say they've got a really cool story, but yeah. they don't have a format. What do you do with them first and foremost to be able to build the content, to be able to, that, that presents well to a company? Yeah, so we're in the process of building this out, like as we speak, because nice. you know we have a couple people on board, but we're really trying to get to about you know me plus eight to twelve other people. Yeah, you know top tier people in the next like two months, three months. Um, so it's it, that's a question that we're really developing right now and, and finding the right people that we want to bring on because we're not just going to take on any random person in the beginning. It wants to be a you know a, a small group of of these people that are you know really good at what they do, and so. Mm-hmm. You know, we have four areas that we focus on right now for the time being that I found I think are the most looked for speaking topics that companies and, and events look for. And we will expand over time. But right now it's overcoming obstacles or overcoming adversity, leadership development, peak performance and business growth, and diversity and inclusion. And so, you know, yes, a speaker who has a unique story can come in and talk about their unique story. They have to do that. That's what makes them a good speaker that makes them charismatic that makes them you know connect mm-hmm. but at the same time it's you know if a company wants you to speak on leadership development you know we talk you through our thought process our framework what we're doing within leadership development mm-hmm. and yes we need to make sure that you tailor that to fit your own message and, and fits well with you mm-hmm. but we will help you get that together you know if you are not already you know an expert on xyz topic yeah is it more like speeches or is it interactive uh, seminars, for lack of a better term? Like, are, are this is this hands-on type learning training, or is it more just the speaker stands up in front of me and there's, gives me good speech? There's combinations. It, it depends what a company's looking for, and so it could be anywhere from an hour-long keynote to you know small group workshops to you know a, a six-month, twelve-month consulting agreement that combines keynotes, workshops, seminars, things like that, and so. It just depends on what the organization is looking for. And, yeah. and we don't really know that until we have a discussion with them. And sometimes it's super simple. It's, hey, we have an event. We want a speaker. Yeah. Okay. You clearly just want a speaker. Yeah. Sometimes it's, hey, you know, we have done a really bad job of leadership development. We want help building this out. Maybe that's a consulting opportunity. Maybe that's mm-hmm. just a day-long workshop. I don't know. It's figuring out what's best a best fit for them. Yeah. It seems to me that that's you know, as a business owner, that would be more valuable for my people, a more interactive approach, a more yep. uh, seminar type, as opposed to a speech. You know, these days you can get a yep. good speech online. You can get a good speech on yep. a podcast. No, I agree. You know, and so and having somebody come, what, sorry, go ahead. No, no, keep, keep going. Keep I, I, going. I was just going to say that, that to me is what's appealing about what y'all are doing, which is, Hey, we're going to come in and we're going to learn something. We're not just going to get a good yep. rah, rah, hoorah speech. We're actually going to get, going to get something out of this. Oh, I 100% agree. I think the workshops, the seminars, the consulting aspect are the parts that we're trying to build out more and grow. You know, we've done a good amount of it, but we're trying to grow that the most because, yes, you know, I do speeches, just one-off speeches all the time when companies want me to come in. But that's typically more for, like, they have an event, like Mm -hmm. their annual conference, their annual event. But if you want real growth, real change 
in your business and your company, then a seminar consulting a workshop is a better fit. Yeah, agree. yeah I agree. And on the other side of that, though, we've, we can always find good speeches and all this. But I feel like there's a there's a much bigger risk as a company that you could have a terrible one, too. Right. Because there's so many people out there that have done something really cool or important in their life. That doesn't automatically make them a good public speaker (laughs) or have good content, because, I mean, I've heard I've heard people that like some people that they've raved about. And I'm not going to say names because I I highly respect these people. But then you hear them actually give a presentation. It's like. I mean, have you ever thought about a process? Have you ever thought about structure? Have you ever thought about yeah. what you're trying, like what message you want them to walk? Because it, it's people are most people are pretty good about talking about themselves. But how do you give a speech to somebody where you're talking about everybody in the audience mm-hmm. while yeah. using life experiences, right? And so yeah. that's that's the difference because there's some awful ones out there. Well-known yeah. people have cool stories, best at their craft, whatever it may be, but that doesn't automatically make them a good speaker. So it's a yeah. higher risk just to be a speaker, right? Hey, we're going to cut a check for, you know, 20 grand to get this speaker to come, you know, for our big company, company retreat. But then it's like, uh, yeah, not much ROI on that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No. And, and that's the biggest thing you have to learn when you're doing it is like, Yes, you want to tell your story, but how do you relate your story, the examples, your message back to everyone else? And that's Mm -hmm. something that you have to just figure out how to do. And it comes with time. And the more you practice it, the more you work on it, the better, easier it becomes. But if you can't relate it back to others, like, yes, there are some people who would probably love to hear me get up and just talk about my life in football for an hour. But I guarantee you 50% of the room is like, I, this has no interest to me. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. How does this so make how me a better mom? That to or, other people? Yeah. How does this make me a better salesperson? How does this make me? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So, so let's talk about some practical application. You mentioned a couple of things you did when you were trying to get better at football. What are some things that you do on a daily basis now as a business owner? Like what are some of your habits? What are some of your, your rituals? What do you do now? Yeah. You know, I think the biggest things are being consistent with my daily actions. You know, there are certain things that every single day I need to do despite, you know, the noise and despite what's going on. And yeah, you know, not every day, everything that I need to get done gets done, but I have the core things that that need to get done. You know, focusing on yourself, I think is really important. You know, every single morning I, you know, at least while I'm on the East coast and, and things may change, my schedule may change a bit when I'm in LA, but I love, you know, waking up and going to the gym at, you know, five thirty in the morning still, five in the morning still, because I get up and I, I go there before anyone's emailing me, calling me, texting me, sending me messages. And it's the time that I can have by myself to focus mm. on me and lifting weights and doing something I enjoy. Amen. Now, you know, when I get to LA that, you know, it's my schedule has been different when I've been out there, but it's it may be a different time of day that I do that because if I wake up at 6 a.m. or something, that's yeah. already nine on the East Coast. If right. a company wants to talk to me at 9 a.m. Eastern, I'm going to take that call. So yeah. a lot of the times I work out later in the day, but it's you know figuring out different routines that I, I think work for you. What about like I know you mentioned books earlier that you you know you're not you're big about action and not necessarily consuming, but are there anything that you you know books, podcasts, anything that you do consume that you that you found helpful? Yeah. You know, there's, there's tons of, you know, tons of things I've, I've, you know, read a lot of books. There's, you know, I'm actually not reading one right now. I need to pick a new one. Um, but you know, I think, I think my biggest thing with that is like, I like to read books. Yes. I like to listen to podcasts. Yes. But I think the issue that when most people talk about, Oh, you need to read 
30 minutes a day or you need to read whatever a day is they're focusing so much on just getting it done versus mm -hmm. like what do you enjoy what are you actually learning from it yep. so like yeah there's you know weeks that i read you know every single day and i learn from it there's also weeks that go by that i probably don't read a book that's right now honestly i'm not reading any book right now um and i'll, I'll pick something up again soon probably and, and read it and you know enjoy it and learn from it but I don't read, I don't listen to podcasts just to say that I, you know, did it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm like you, Aaron. Uh, I only read when Ben guilts me into it or tricks me into some sort of challenge that we're doing. That's the only time I read. Yeah, so. no, I'll speak to that from personal experience that you're exactly right. You can get caught up in, in the feel good of, oh, I'm reading right now or, oh, I'm consuming this podcast. It feels good to consume because it feels like you're accomplishing something. But you're exactly right. It's, it's more about what am I taking away from this than it is actually doing the act of reading the book or listening to the podcast. So you're right, Tyler. If you're not getting anything out of the challenge, then don't do the challenge. That, that's all I'm saying. Well, no. You know what I'm going to get out of it? I'm going to be $500 poorer. <laughs> that's, how, that's what I'm going to get out of it. We're doing, a, we're doing a dumb, fun little brain challenge right now. Just We talked about exercise your aging brain, and the loser has to pay the other person $500. So Tyler doesn't want to quit because he doesn't want to pay me, but – his heart's not in it. I can tell his heart's not in it. He doesn't want to do I it. I like the puzzle days. Like I'm, I'm good at those. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, enough about us. No, that's good, man. And, and so you said, sorry, the company's called, uh, what again? Initiate connection. Initiate connection. How can people, I'm assuming there's a website. How can people get connected? Yes. Yeah, so, How can we initiate uh, connections to your, to your company? Yeah. So the website is currently actually, unfortunately being rebuilt at this second. It will hopefully be live by Friday again. Um, so everything, well, guess what, by the time, by the time this airs, it will be live. That's right. So we're okay, good. Yeah, perfect. We're good. So and, initiate connections.com. Um, my personal website is aaron and you know, feel free to reach out if I can help in any way. I always on my podcast on podcasts, I go on like, look, my main email is Aaron at aaron Email yeah. me if I can help you in any way, I'll do it. The yeah. reason I give that out is because 99.99999% of people will never reach out to me <laughs> yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. But the point like, Oh, oh, oh one percent of people that actually do, I will respond to you and I will help you to the best of my ability. Yeah. yeah. Prank, prank emails are just not as effective as prank calls used to be back in the day. You know, if like you were to give your phone, your home phone number out back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have people calling you, yeah, right? For sure. <laughs> and your personal, you got an Instagram. Do you have a YouTube channel as well? Yeah. So, uh, Instagram and Twitter are both Aaron J. Golub. Um, my YouTube is just, you know, Aaron Gallup, um, I'm not right now as active on YouTube as I want to be, but you know, I'll be getting back more to that soon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, we'll, we'll throw, we'll throw it out when, yeah. when we get this going. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll share Aaron's, uh, Instagram profile and then we'll get you some additional information to him. So, yeah. And, and I tell all entrepreneurs this, what there's a market out there for documenting the journey of an entrepreneur. And so if you're not yeah. doing that, that that's a niche that that's something I know I'm, I'm personally, yeah. I know there's a lot of people interested in just watching that. It's the weirdest thing. Like you don't think like people want to see my day. That's weird. People want to see your day. They yeah. want to see what you're doing. They want to know, okay, what, what's, what's Aaron? He's, he's super successful. How does he go about his day? Uh, so I would encourage you to do that if you're yeah. not already. Um, but man, this was yeah. so Ben, are you documenting your day? No, I'm not interesting, but <laughs> back to Aaron. <laughs> So man, I, your story is awesome. When when we we connected and and saw you know what you've overcome and what you've accomplished and, and such a short I mean what twenty six years I old, I feel very under under accomplished oh, yeah. uh, at thirty four. 
Um, but man, it, it's inspiring. It's encouraging. It's, it's all the things that we're about here on the one shot podcast. So man, we really appreciate your time. Appreciate your message. Know that you're impacting a lot of people. Uh, and, and, and people are going to get a lot out of this, man. So we appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you're in Dallas, time, hit us up. Yeah. Hit us up. Let us yeah, know. Yeah, we'll do. Hang on here for a sec after we get done. But, um, Hey, good luck in California. Mm-hmm. Um, just wish all the best for you and, and looking forward to continue following your journey and then, uh, connect and see if we can send you some business. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks guys.